Acts 18, 22, and finishing the chapter. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass through Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this time now where we open the word that you have so ordained to give us, and that the Holy Spirit moved men to write, we give you thanksgiving that we have the great privilege to open the word and to listen to words of truth and, Lord, to see the light in the midst of darkness. And Lord, we pray that you would give us right understanding as we hear the word. And Lord, we also pray that, again, that your spirit would accompany the word so that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that truly understand. That we would believe and that we would obey what we hear, what we see. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good to uh, have us all uh, gathered once again together here this morning. Certainly a blessing to have uh, God's word in our hands, amen, as we say often. There's nothing more unholy that one could probably think of is to have a pastor, an elder, stand up in the pulpit and uh, never look at the Word of God, never preach the Word of God, never feed the people of God as we are to do, um, which, brethren, which is quite amazing, it takes place quite regularly uh, almost every week across our land, every, every Lord's Day morning. It is a stunning thing for us to behold. And so we, uh, as we know, are right here uh, as we're going through verse by verse through the book of Acts, God's inspired, if you will, um, church history. And so we've certainly come to a most glorious portion of Scripture, again, as everyone is. And uh, we remember, don't we, brethren, that it is by the good pleasure of God and by His providence that we are indeed gathered here this morning together. I mean, let's just uh, understand that, amen, each and every time we gather. It's because of God's good pleasure and by His, His good, uh, if you will, providence that we are gathered together and as we are gathered here we are as Howard prayed already as we must often consider 
the graces that we are gathered together here to, if you will, participate in and continue in, which is really quite an amazing thing. I mean, the book of Acts has been preached, it's been written, it's been in our canon of scripture for near 2,000 years now, and those graces never change. Amen? The things that we gather together and participate in do not change. Which would be, brethren, as we understand, as we saw earlier in, a, in the book of Acts, the Apostles' Doctrine. Amen. It is good for us, brethren, to open our Bibles and be participating in and hearing the Apostles' Doctrine together. Amen. This is what we should be doing together. To fellowship together. Amen. Again, this is what the Bible says, that as we gather together, the ecclesia, the called out of God to gather together, these are the things that we participate in. Together, The breaking of bread, amen, soon we will, Lord willing, be gathering ourselves together here around the Lord's table to remember and proclaim the Lord's death till he come, which is what they have done, and of course to pray together, to pray for one another, all of which, brethren, again, as we remind ourselves, it is good for us to be reminded, our principal pieces in God's biblical biology and sacred prescription designed to keep his sheep sound and safe. Amen? I mean, we talked about that in Bible study this morning, the great need for the sheep of God to be gathered together because God did indeed design these graces for you and for me that we might remain sound and healthy and safe within the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of the gathering together. This is why with this attitude that men have today, that the gathering isn't important, that we shouldn't be gathering together. I can gather with God out in a tree, out by, no, brethren, that's not how God designed it. We are sheep. We are meant to be together. We're not, as Spurgeon said, we're not bears and we're not lions and these out on our own. We are indeed sheep. The Bible certainly speaks and calls us that. Now, we remember from the last time that we were together in our text, together, amen, that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, amen. He's heading to Jerusalem as the Spirit of God is leaving him there with his hair in his hands. And we looked at that to complete the vow, the Nazarite vow that he had just taken earlier that we saw in our text. And it's interesting, it's here amid his over 600-mile, if you will, trek, to Jerusalem, that we take up our text this morning. And it is a most glorious, again, it's so wonderful, isn't it, to go verse by verse, and we just take it up again right where we left off is this flow that God has uh, interwoven into the Scriptures as it just continues right on. And so this morning, let us read God's holy words, His inspired words, those which He placed in the canon of Scripture for us to have, as Brother Dean prayed this morning. Let us read verse number 22 together. Look what the Bible says there. And when they had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. Luke, of course, here in verse number 22, is led by the Spirit of God to compress. Now, brethren, you read verse 22. There is a whole lot of God's business that's taking place in verse 22. And Luke just simply is led by the Spirit of God to compress that down. We look there carefully at what the Bible says. Luke first abbreviates for us the details of Paul's long sailing voyage, if you will, there um, to Caesarea. He likens and brings it down. In verse 21, it just simply says there, and he landed at Caesarea. 
Well, we don't understand that that trip that he got on the, on the boat there. Look at verse 21. Look there if you would, right towards the end of it. And uh, he sailed from Ephesus, and when he landed at Caesarea... That's 565 miles, brethren, that Paul conden- or that Luke condenses here down into verse, part of verse 21 and part of verse 22. So there's a whole lot of days, there's a whole lot of activity that's taken place between those two verses. Paul sailing there, if you will, these 565 miles. Secondly, we notice in the verse that he does indeed give us the Reader's Digest condensed version of Paul's 54-mile foot excursion up to the church in Jerusalem. Look at verse 22 there again. So he lands there in Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church. Now, anytime you see this in the book of Acts, the going up is always going up to Jerusalem. And we don't have time this morning, but this is what he did. He was on his way, remember, to Jerusalem to do what? To fulfill this Nazarite vow, which could only be fulfilled in Jerusalem at the temple. And so this is what he's done. This 54-mile trek after the 565-mile sail, he hoofs it for 54 miles into Jerusalem. And then you look at the text there again. This stuff's all, again, just the Reader's Digest condensed version Luke is giving us here. He then, if you look at the verse carefully there, he, if you will, gives us the Reader's Digest condensed version on Paul's 308-mile traverse to his sending church in Achaia, look at verse 22. So we got a whole lot of miles. We have a whole lot of things taking place just in that one verse that the Luke is led by the Spirit of God to do for us. Look at verse 22 there again, just concluding it. He says, and saluted the church, and he went down to Antioch. So all of this traveling, all of this traversing, Paul is moving along. The Spirit of God is leading him along. And Luke, just so eloquently as he does, just compresses it right down for us, all of this activity of God that's going on in this particular portion of Scripture. Now, Caesarea, of course, was a very important city. And we remember from earlier that there were some important things that took place in Caesarea. And I want you to see this, brethren, just by way of remembrance. Turn with me back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, where we first see uh, this city mentioned. There's a famous evangelist that went through Caesarea, or however you want to pronounce it. Some pronounce it Caesarea, some Caesarea. But he preached here. Look here at Acts chapter 8. Philip, the famous evangelist, was one that first trekked on through there, and he's preaching the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at verse number 40. Look what the Bible says. But Philip was found in Azadus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So again, Philip, the great evangelist, was there. He was preaching the gospel. Look here. If you would, there's another famous person that we saw that's in Scripture for all of eternity, the Cornelius. Look at Acts chapter 10. Again, he, this is where Cornelius is from. Again, setting and laying the importance of what Paul is doing here as he's going through Caesarea. Look at verse number 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God and with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. You see that there. Look at verses 22 and 24. Again, we see the work that God has done and is doing in Cornelius. Look at verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel uh, to send forth to the end of this house, to hear the words of thee. And we know exactly what takes place. 
Then called he them and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren of Joppa accompanied him. And on and the morrow, uh, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and called together his kinsmen and his near friends. And you remember here what took place. Cornelius calls his family, calls his near kin, and they hear the gospel and they're saved. And so, again, this is where Paul is heading. This is where he's heading through as he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Now, there's also another important thing that takes place in this condensed verse, in, in verse 22, and it kind of seeps over into verse 23. Does anybody, if it was Wednesday evening or Sunday morning, I'd ask you, do you know what it is? What's coming to an end here in verse number 22? In verse number 22, Paul's second missionary journey is coming to an end. Do you see all this, all compressed by God, all compressed by the Spirit of God, right into this glorious verse, which is very interesting. Again, for us to understand as we move forward now, as we read verse number 23 there of Acts chapter 18. Look back there at Acts 18. Look at verse number 23 as we move along. All of this is taking place. In verse 23, the word of God says this. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in, or, in order, strengthening all of the disciples. So again, here in verse 23, Paul's third missionary journey begins. It stops in verse 22 as he's at his home church. And we understand, again, for one to have a proper biblical view, brethren, of the local church, again, it is one that has been basically by many flushed right down the sewer. We don't need to meet. We don't need to gather together. We don't need the graces that Paul speaks of. But yet here, Paul, what does he do? He heads back to his home church, if you will, and he reports to them. And not only that, as his third missionary journey begins, guess who sends him out? The church, the church at Antioch, sends him out. And really, when he leaves, the Holy Ghost is certainly uh, leading him, if you will, to go back as a pastor, like he did on so many terms. Luke says that after he spent some time there, he departed. So the Spirit of God sends Paul on another extensive pastoral journey. He sends Paul all throughout the region of Galatia, amen, and Phrygia, to strengthen all the disciples. Just brother, as we have seen over and over again, was the Holy Ghost habit. It was his, if you will, pattern that he would give to Paul. Now, brethren, every good pastor, every good elder, every good preacher, amen, if you go somewhere and you preach the gospel, they should be concerned about the work that God is doing there. And one should, as we do here, we check up on the sheep. Amen? You should always do that. A good pastor knows that. And again, this is certainly Paul's habit. This is what he always did. This is what the Spirit of God led him to do. But see what happens. We live in such a transient place. Such a transient place. Transient world, if you will. That... It's hard to do that because nobody, well, not, I shouldn't say nobody, many people do not like the idea of being under the authority of a local church. And brethren, that's a problem. That is a real problem, especially when you consider how God designed it. Again, this is why we're here, brethren. This is why we're gathered together, um, so that the elders and those who are feeding the flock might watch over the flock of God that they have been given, uh, if you will, authority over. It's a stunning thing. This is what Paul is doing. He's going back. He's checking to see 
how the churches are doing, those places that he preached the gospel at. Are they remaining faithful to the word? Are they remaining faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? The things that I preached unto them and that I taught them. And again, just by way of a couple of portions of scripture, a couple of examples, again, that we have already preached through, walked through. But again, this emphasis on the local church, this emphasis of concern about the local church, we see this over and over again in Paul's writings. In fact, doesn't he say in Corinth, he says, besides all these other things, all the other things that were going on in his life, all of these things, what does he particularly bring out? One of his main concerns is what? How the churches are doing. What an amazing pastor. What an amazing evangelist that God certainly designed Paul to be. I want you to see this again, Paul's concern. This again, we always say, don't we? I want to be, we want to be, we want to be an example. We want to be and we want to mimic, brethren. If we say we're a New Testament church, as I always say, we should do what? We should mimic. You know the word mimic, what that means? It means to stamp out exact replicas. It's like a quarter. The quarter's been stamped out. This is the idea. We should be, as a local church, we should look and mimic just like these that we see here in the book of Acts. Precisely. We should act like them. We should follow the word of God like them. We should be like them. Amen? Not like the world. Huh? Let's invite the world in. No, let's not invite the world in. Let's build up the saints. Let's preach the gospel over the airways. But let's build up the saints, edify the saints, so that when you leave... You will be equipped to take the gospel to a lost and dying world that's out there. Amen. Now, if someone comes and the Lord leaves someone during our service, amen, you come, you're lost. May, the, may he open your eyes, your ears, and your heart to understand the gospel. But here, our main concern, brethren, as I always say, is the believer. That the believer is edified, that he's lifted up, he or she, I'm using language here. And this is what Paul was concerned with. Look at Acts chapter 14. Again, just as we see Paul returning. Paul returning to say, brethren, how are you? How's it going? Have you been following and being examples of the things that I taught? The, the apostles' doctrine, brethren, again, that which we have written, inspired here in the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 14. Look at verse number 21 there again. And when he had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many there, many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Look at confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So again, this is what Paul did. He went back, he preached. We, we saw this. But again, brethren, we are forgetful people. We are very forgetful. And so... It is not for me, as Paul said, and I'm not equating myself with Paul. I'm just equating his biblical principle. For me to preach to you the same thing again, Paul, to, for me to write to the Philippians, was what? It was not a problem. In fact, he said it was safe for you. Again, the idea here is keeping the sheep who are, who are under the leadership of the elders here. It is keeping you safe. It is keeping me safe. It applies to me as well, amen, and to every elder in this church. 
Look at Acts 15. We're right there. Again, just Paul's glorious example. Look at verse 35. Acts 15, look at verse number 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren. There it is. There's his concern as a pastor, as one who had preached the gospel there. Let us go back to these places, amen, and see what does he say there. What does he say in verse number 36? He says there, if you will, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they, what, do. So again, we see this continual concern. This continual, if you will, need for Paul and for those, Barnabas, for Peter, for all of those that we have seen in the book of Acts to watch over and to protect the gospel that's being preached, that it is being done rightly and that those brethren, are here, as they hear, as the Lord opens their eyes and ears and hearts to hear and see and understand it. I like what one pastor said. Paul had been used as God's instrument to win them to Christ. And now was being used to grow them in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something we quote a lot, Second Peter. Right, brethren? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It will keep you safe, brethren. It really will. Paul, as the pastor continued, was not only interested in seeing souls converted to Christ, but in souls growing in Christ. For he knew, and we know, and the Bible teaches, that when one does that, when one makes a disciple, not just a convert, a disciple, brethren, you know what that disciple will do? That disciple then will reproduce. And he will do the same thing. Again, mimic, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Isn't that what we know? Wash, rinse, repeat. This, biblically, that's what they did. Wash, rinse, repeat. Preach the gospel. God saves the soul. Men then come and they disciple them so that they will indeed then what? Reproduce. Exactly, precisely as they're doing here in the book of Acts. It never changes, brethren. And you know what? It never gets old. If this gets old for you, you've got to check yourself. Because, again, this is what God and how God designed it. His means to bring about his what, brethren, ends. This is what we must be concerned about. Now, look. Look what Luke does here as he's carried along, as his pen is inspired, as it writes these glorious words, these glorious words that we have. Look back at Acts chapter 18. Look there at verses 24 and 25 with me, if you would. Verse number 24, Paul is going out through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Now, brothers, listen carefully how the Spirit of God describes Apollos. This is really important in our text. It really is. Can you imagine, as he's described other men, Lot, and some of the other men that we see in scripture, Moses, a friend of God, all of these things, for all of eternity, this word is eternal. And for 2,000 years, and for how many more the Lord will tarry, men will read this about Apollos. Amen? Look at how the Spirit of God, through Luke's pen, describes Apollos. Number one, he was an eloquent man. He's an eloquent man. 
the Bible says. We're going to look at that. And mighty in the scriptures too. Oh, that God would say that about us. That we are mighty in the scriptures. Not mighty in man's foolishness, mighty in the scriptures. This for all of eternity is what's said about Apollos. It's amazing. Look at what else the Bible says. And came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And we're going to look at that. That's a word that Baptists run from. But we should not. It's the word catechized. Catechal. He is catechized, instructed, the Bible says. And we're going to look at that. In the way of the Lord. Now, that's important because that's an Old Testament phrase that's used. There's two of them here in this verse that are used that draw our, our religious affections immediately about Apollos's, if you will, relation with the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he uses this term in the way of the Lord. You realize that's an Old Testament phrase that's used. Again, this draws our attention. The second thing that draws our attention there, if you will, well, he gives this glorious description of him. He's instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. We notice again, like Paul, Paul was what? Moved in his spirit. That's the inner man again. He was fervent in the spirit concerning the things, the way of the Lord, which is important. Amen. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only, again, this is an Old Testament phrase, only the baptism of who? Of John the Baptist. He was diligent, he was fervent, he was all of these things. He, first of all, he was an eloquent man. What does that word mean? Well, brothers and sisters, as I studied this out, this is one that I really need to grow in, to be an eloquent man. This word is only found here in the all of Holy Writ. It describes one who has uh, an attractive and convincing speech. In other words, having the power of oratory. He was a great orator. He was a great speaker. God had given him this ability to be a great orator. That's literally what the word means. He's eloquent in his speech. One who has attractive and convincing speech, having the power of orator. Second thing, he was mighty in the scriptures. This denotes the power that one uh, has by virtue of one's inherent ability given to you by God. And that's what that means. So in other words, God had raised him up. God had given him these, if you will, these abilities. And here's Luke recording and saying, this, this man is an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures. And... He's been given some inherent ability by God to be, to have the power to do it. In fact, look at verse 28. There's that word used again in verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So again, this is something that the Spirit of God writes concerning Apollos. He is eloquent, he's mighty in the scriptures. Apollos had been, the Bible says here, instructed. He had been catechized. Again, not a word we should run from. It is a beautiful, glorious, biblical word. Catechized means in the way of the Lord, to sound deep down into the ears, brethren. That's literally what that means. So in other words, Apollos, who uh, has come from this city of Alexandria, where over a quarter of the population was Jewish, had indeed, brethren, been instructed and catechized in the Jewish doctrines. 
No question about, again, our, our attention is, our religious affections are immediately drawn to that fact. It is an amazing thing. In fact, that word is used seven times in the New Testament, but Luke liked that word, especially. And I want you to see this as we look at this. He uses it again in Acts. Look at Acts chapter 21, just over a couple of chapters. He, again, likes this word. And uh, we see here in Acts 21, look at verse number 21. Look what the Bible says there. <laughs> and they are informed. That word informed is catechized. They've been taught. They have been catechized in what? What have they been catechized in? Of Paul. <laughs> they've, been, they've been heard. They've been taught. They understand who Paul is. That thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses' saying that we ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Huh. Why do you think he just had a Nazarene vow that he just completed? This is where it all goes. Paul is, never leaves his Jewishness as we have seen, but he doesn't look at what he did as something that's salvific. He knows that salvation is in Christ alone, believing in him alone. Although he kept, in, if you will, the train, the long coat behind him, he definitely hung on to his Jewish roots. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you don't make it salvific. As long as you don't start slaughtering animals in your house and uh, doing these kinds of things like some Hebrew roots people do, that I know personally. Stunning. Look what it says there. It's an amazing thing. Not to circumcise their children, uh, neither walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore what this uh, that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them again. Verse 24, take them and purify thyself with them. Again, we looked at this last week, but again, he's following through. And be at the charges with them, that they may shave their heads and may all know those, those things, whereof thou they were informed, catechized. They were instructed in Paul's life. That stuff that's been taught about him. Again, this is the idea here. Concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. So again, we see the purpose of God in what Paul is doing always. But again, this thing is, this idea of being instructed and catechized in the way of the Lord, an Old Testament phrase that we see over and over again in the Old Testament. Just look at one more. Luke, again, like I said, like this word. Look at Luke chapter 1. Just again, this idea of being, having it sound deep down into the ears, deep down into the soul. This is literally what Luke is saying. This is the kind of man that Apollos is. That's why he brings it out. That's why the scripture takes it out. Look at verse number 1 of Luke chapter 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. What do we have here in verse number 1? We have the written words of God. We have the inspired uh, if you will, pages of God that Luke's talking about here. But he also talks of another thing that uh, Tertius, Paul's, uh, if you will, his, his uh, scribe would certainly understand. Look there at verse number 2. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, 
to write unto, ye, unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Verse number four. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been what? Instructed. Thou hast been catechized. All these things that you've heard by mouth, by the apostles, by those who are speaking these things, the inspired word, those that have been written down, all of these things, you've been catechized and instructed in them. And so, brethren, this is the idea. All of us, brethren, that's why, again, this whole idea, this, if you will, the whole gist of our text, it is important that we, brethren, are catechized in the truth of God. This is where it goes. This is where it all continues. This is how it's relevant to you and I this morning. The book of Acts is not just some relevant thing that's out there. It's, not, it's relevant. It is needful and it is most necessary for the church. If it was good for them, brethren, it is indeed good for us. Amen? And it will be good off into eternity. Again, we see this here. Now, in our text, Luke says that Apollos was also fervent in the spirit. That literally means to be hot, to boil as a liquid, or to glow as a solid. Can I say that again? He's fervent in the spirit. It literally means to boil as a liquid or to glow as a solid. You've seen metal on fire. It's glowing. That's the idea here. You've seen water boiling. That's the idea here. That Apollos is this kind of man. He's fervent in the spirit. He is a man who clearly loves the Lord. However, let me just say that. However, brethren, in the Spirit's description of Apollos, he does indeed give us some insight into his current relational status with the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that's why the things we read earlier, these two, if you will, Old Testament phrases come into play. Now, Luke tells us that Apollos' doctrine is indeed correct. You know where he got his doctrine from, right? The Old Testament. He got it from looking at the Old Testament. He's looking at this. This is Christ. This is what he's teaching. But it was not, brethren, if you will, if I guess I can use the word in a negative sense. It was correct, but it was deficient. There were portions missing. And this is why, again, I come back to what we always say. We gather together here not to hear me blow a lot of smoke or Dean or Howard to blow smoke. We come together so that we can be catechized so we understand the fullness of God's word. And every last one of us needs it. It's a stunning thing, and I'm going to close with that practical point. I don't want to go there, but don't ever get to the place, brethren, where you don't think you need to gather with the brethren in the church because you already know it all. You know nothing. It's a stunning thing. You know only a part like me. That's why it's important for us to gather together. Apollos' doctrine regarding the Lord Jesus was indeed accurate, but it was clearly deficient. Look at verse 25 there of Acts 18. Well, I'm going to just want to read that again. I want to bring these two Old Testament uh, words or phrases that are brought out here that immediately causes one to consider where Apollos is truly at. Look there at verse 25 again. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Again, that's an Old Testament phrase that's used. They used it all the time. Go back to Deuteronomy. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Exodus. You'll see that, that they were instructed in the way of the Lord. This is an Old Testament thing. 
It was the idea in the Old Testament as well that they were catechized in the things of the Lord. But they were not catechized in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, were they? No. They wrote it. They wrote about it. But they did not understand it completely and wholly, just like Apollos. It's an amazing thing. For 20 years now, Peter had just preached in Acts chapter 2. 20 years have gone by that one must what? Repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Amen? This is what he writes 20 years earlier. And here we are 20 years later. And here's Apollos, who is described in such a wonderful way for all of eternity. He's fervent. He's mighty in the scriptures. But he's lacking in a portion of the gospel. Which again, brethren, brings to our religious affections the importance of understanding the need. To be catechized over and over and over again. Look what it is there. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Knowing only the baptism of John. This is an incomplete understanding. Of the complete gospel. That has been being preached since the cross. Since the Lord Jesus died. Was buried and rose again. From the dead. That's the gospel that's been preached some 20 years earlier. And here is Apollos, who is a Jew, by the way, as I said, who has an incomplete understanding of the complete gospel. Apollos did not know about the Holy Spirit's baptism. <laughs> this is very important, brethren. Apollos had no idea about the Spirit's baptism. That is an important thing that must be drawn out here in our text. John's baptism was a prophetic washing. It was indeed a baptism, and we understand, right? We know what John preached. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It was indeed a foreshadowing. His baptism was a foreshadowing of what the Spirit of God would eventually do as he added one by one by one by one, the true believer to the local and to the church universal. That's the difference. He understood John's baptism, which was a foreshadowing of it, but not the real thing. It is when Christ died on the cross, when he was buried and rose again from the dead, that the Spirit then, amen, would draw men to the cross, would draw them through the gospel, would save them based on that gospel. Although he did in the Old Testament, as we know, he saved them based on that gospel too. But it was a foreshadowing. It was a looking ahead to the cross. Every person, every man, every woman, every child who's ever believed is saved on that cross, on what took place there. That's the central theme of all of history. This is what he's saying. This Old Testament thing. And when we see there, don't we, brethren? Let me say it again. John's baptism was a prophetic washing. It was a baptism of promise that looked forward to the saving baptism of the Spirit. He did not know about that. Christian baptism, brethren, pictures. It's different. It's different in that it pictures one's actual union with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. That's the difference. John's baptism and the Christian baptism, in fact, if we look there, that's what God did. God used Priscilla and Aquila, did he not? Look what it says. In fact, it's the title of our sermon this morning. They took him 
And they expounded. Brother, look there if you would at verse number 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God, what? More perfectly. This is what they did. They took him aside and said, you don't understand. You only know John's baptism. We're going to expound in the scriptures concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what saves. And we see that there. In fact, we're given a clue in chapter 19. Look at the first five verses. It just, it's just laid right out there for us. We don't even have to guess. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Who were the certain disciples in Ephesus? Well, they were the disciples of Apollos, who had taught them about John's baptism. <laughs> Again, it was incomplete. It was deficient concerning that most important portion of the gospel. What does Paul say? He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard that whether there be any Holy Ghost. Look at that. That's missing from his preaching. He was a fervent man. He was boiling. He was red hot in the things of God. But that portion was missing. Do you see the importance of one being sound in the, in the faith? Do you understand what this means, brother? To teach the word of God is a most, well, what can I say? I guess I'll say what James said. Not many of you, brethren, should what? should gather, if you will, should want to be a teacher because we are going to be held way more accountable. Apollos was not teaching the complete gospel here. And again, I'm not decrying him. I'm not speaking ill of him because the Bible doesn't. But what it teaches us is one must be taught the whole gospel. <laughs> What do any of our Reformed brethren say? The gospel without Jesus is no gospel. It isn't. It's another gospel that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians. There's another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. That's who he writes about. So here we see God using Priscilla and Aquila in a most interesting way. But look there if you would. Verse 2 of chapter 9, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto which then were you baptized? And they said unto who? John's baptism. There it is again. There's, there's the fruit that we see from what Apollos was teaching before Priscilla and Aquila took him off to the side. Let us teach you the way of God more perfectly. Do you see the importance here? Verse 4 then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is one of the famous Jesus-only passages, right, brethren? If you know anything about history at all, they will go and go, see, see, you can only baptize in the name of Jesus. Well, I can take you to several other portions of Acts where it was in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But anyway, I don't, to, I don't want to track that down. The idea here is, is that to complete and just be saved, you must understand what Jesus Christ did and who he is. Any deficiency in it 
and you cannot be saved. That's the idea. Do we know everything about Christ? No, but we know this, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried according to the Scriptures, that he rose again according to the Scriptures. I mean, when I do premarital counseling, that's the first question I ask. Can you please give me a short snippet of what the gospel is? Do you realize how important that is, brethren? Because if the man or woman cannot tell me what the gospel is in a simple little sentence, their marriage is in trouble before it even starts. The man will not be the head of the home as God has directed him to be. He will not treat his wife as the Bible tells us to treat our wives. We will not love them and cherish them. There's all manner of things that takes place when you're not converted and you do not know the gospel. This country, brethren, does not need more money. In fact, we're out of money. Did you know that? I don't know if you can comprehend $30 trillion. I can't. You can't, I can't. I can't even conceive $1 trillion in what that is. What this nation needs more than anything else right now, right now, Howard mentioned it this morning in Bible study, is a revival in the church. A church that will stand up and preach the truth, tell the truth, and let the chips fall where they may. I just heard before I got up and preached, and I'm not saying this in a boastful way, I'm just saying that a few weeks ago someone visited. And when we were getting ready for the Lord's Supper, as one of our members was sitting behind, they were sitting behind him. The woman said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. You know why? Because the gospel is a powerful thing. Preaching the word of God is powerful. And you know what it does? It convicts you of your sin. It convicts you of... It does all manner of things. People are now used to softness. No truth. Preachers run from the truth because you know why? Well, they might run. They're cowards. Amen. They're afraid somebody might get up and say what that woman said. I got to get out of here. And you know what will happen? Their little, their, little, their little offering box might shrink down a little. <laughs> it's amazing. Brethren, let me just say this. And I got to move on. We haven't taken an offering in this church in years. You guys notice the visitors that are here? You never saw a plate get passed. No. There's an offering box back there. And if you're a Christian, the Lord will guide and direct you in what you should give. We don't pass a plate. We don't want unsaved putting money into our plate. God will take care of us. He always has and he always will. You think God can't pop a couple bucks in the plate? I don't know where you're at if you're afraid of that. We should never be afraid of telling the truth. Although I, I do need to work on my eloquency. <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes I'm not so eloquent. But this is an amazing thing, brethren, when you look at our text. When we understand the seriousness of what is being written, what is taking place, and what is happening. Aquila and Priscilla were used by God to guide Apollos with regards to being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and its essential meaning. Now let's finish. Look back there at Acts chapter 18. Look at verse number 27. The Bible says there, And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, 
the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. There's a glorious word right at the end of that sentence, grace. Everyone's been saved by grace, as well as Apollos. As he learned and understood the gospel, he was saved by grace alone. And it's an interesting thing here, because after he spent some time here in Ephesus, he endeavored to go to the Providence Vacia, which we just read, and some of the brethren wrote a letter. Some of the some of the disciples wrote a letter and say, hey, you other churches should accept him. He's a true believer. He is a man of God whom God has raised up, who is fervent, who is mighty in the scriptures. He's all of these things. And now he has been thoroughly catechized in the truth of the gospel, which we see over and over again that he indeed was highly regarded by the churches there as well as a trusted colleague of Paul's. In fact, let's just look here at a couple of portions of Scripture and we'll finish up. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, a very familiar portion of Scripture. He was a highly regarded, was used of the Lord, starting here just how God designed him to be eloquent in speech, on fire. Imagine, brethren, boiling to the point of boiling water and glowing red hot. That's a drive that only the Spirit of God can give one. And here in 1 Corinthians, again, we know this portion of Scripture well, but his name pops up with Paul. And so we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse number 11. One of the major issues was divisions. <laughs> there was a division in the church, and Apollos, this man whom God raised up and used, Alongside Paul, his name is mentioned here. Look at verse 11. For it hath been declared unto, you, uh, unto me that of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that, thou, that there are contentions among you. Now, I, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. I am of who? Apollos. He was a great leader. God raised him up, a great leader in the churches there at Achaia, here at Corinth. People saw him as a great preacher, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. Look what Paul says. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's talking about, again, this division. And again, Apollos had risen up. God had raised him up within the churches to become a great leader. And look at finally here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 over just a couple of chapters. He's mentioned again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's mentioned in Titus. He's mentioned in Romans. He's mentioned in several places in Scripture, but here particularly in the area that he was preaching in. Look at verse number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse number 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, or who is Apollos? You see that every man, every teacher, every preacher should understand who they are before God. You are nothing. You are simply an instrument that God uses to preach the gospel, to propagate and to teach the church and to pastor the church and to watch over the church 
all, as we saw with Apollos, gifts given by God. That's it. You have nothing. We have nothing to boast about, nothing. And look what he says. Who then is Paul, verse 5, who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos water, but God what? Gave the increase. Again, this man Apollos, who is so clearly brought forth and spoken so gloringly of in Scripture because of the work that God had done in his life. Let me close with a practical point. We see here, as I've said before, how important it is to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be clearer, brother, from a practical, biblical, Christian standpoint. It can't be clearer to us. It really can't. We must never think for one unholy second that we have arrived and there's no more that I can learn. Brethren, I can say here that there are some doctrinal things that I've changed my view on over the years. Not fundamental doctrines about Christ, but other things. And you have too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, unless it's just me. But you know where that comes from? It comes from an ever-studying of God's Word. We can never, ever get to the place to where we think we know it all. I know everything. There's nothing more I can learn, brother. And you are in big trouble if you get to that place. You really are. In fact, it's interesting that this thing happened just recently to a couple I know. They were having a Bible study, and one of the couples stopped coming. Bing, they picked the phone up. Hey, why aren't you coming anymore? We don't need to come to that. We already know all that. Click. They're in their 20s. You don't know anything. In fact, I had a great example. i got to close. Again, a practical point. Everybody knows who John MacArthur is, right? I believe he is the Charles Spurgeon of our era. I went to the Shepherds Conference a few years ago, and I get chills thinking about it. Paul Washer's preaching. John MacArthur sitting right here on the front pew. Now, he's near 80 years old. You know what he's doing? He has his Bible open. He has his notepad in his hand. And you know what he's doing? He's diligently listening to Paul Washer preach, and he's taking notes on what Paul Washer's preaching. He's almost 80, brethren, at that time. He's over 80 now. What a great example of a man who never, ever, and understands completely that you never arrive. What a great example, brethren, to all of us. Let us indeed, as we close this morning in prayer, pray unto the Spirit of God that he will indeed sink deep down in our ears, deep down in our hearts. May he do this to us, and may he protect you and I from any kind of unholy pride-filled trash is that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we...